Hello, welcome to 1823 Podcast from Liverpool John Moores University. I'm Stuart Arrowsmith and this is episode two of a mini-series exploring what happens next in a world living with COVID-19. In this episode, we're finding out what it's been like on the NHS front line during the pandemic and whether this crisis will change the status of our key workers. I've today left hospital after a week in which the NHS has saved my life, no question. It's hard to find words to express my debt. Having to wear levels of PPE that I've certainly never had to wear previously for eight, 10, 12 hour shifts, uh, working in clinical areas where, you know, that has now become the norm, uh, was totally new experience for me. And I think there's always lots of things that you can learn from experiences like that. This is 1823 Podcast. That's the sound we became accustomed to during the COVID-19 lockdown, the weekly clap for carers as we paid tribute to NHS staff and other key workers. In this episode, we'll find out what it's been like on the NHS front line during the pandemic and discuss whether this crisis may change how key workers are valued in our country. My guest is Dr Colin Jones. Colin's a lecturer at LJMU's School of Nursing and Allied Health, and he returns to clinical practice during the pandemic. Hi, Colin. Hi, Stuart. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. And how are you keeping through all of this pandemic? Yep, doing really well, thank you. Everything's fine. Good, good. I know you and a number of your colleagues at LJMU returned to clinical practice during the pandemic. What's that experience been like for you? It's been um, a very, very interesting experience. And I appreciate my colleagues have all been in different specialist areas because all of us come from different clinical backgrounds, some from A&E, some from intensive care, et cetera, et cetera. So in many respects, it's been a bit of a baptism of fire. Um, And probably on lots of occasions, I felt a bit like the new guy being out in the wards and departments, going to a strange uh, clinical area that I'm not used to working in, going to a different hospital that I'm not used to working in. And of course, what's made it particularly challenging or difficult, I should say, has been all of the unusualness of the situation. So having to wear levels of PPE that I've certainly never had to wear previously for eight, 10, 12 hour shifts, uh, working in clinical areas where, you know, that has now become the norm, uh, was totally new experience for me. And I think there's always lots of things that you can learn from experiences like that. And I think that's a good thing um, if something good can come out of a terrible situation like that. But that was perhaps something that I wasn't really prepared for and had very, very little experience in. The other issue is I've perhaps been placed in a unique position in that we very rarely get to work with our student nurses out in practice and whilst we Mm. all as lecturers we all have a link to a a clinical area in a a trust we very rarely physically get the uniform on and get out there and work with them and what's happened as a result of me going back into the NHS is I've actually found myself on wards where we have LJMU student nurses or I find myself buddying up with a LJMU nurse who's recently qualified And they'll say to me, I remember you, you're one of the lecturers. And we end up working together. Now, that is a very, very unique situation. And it's a terrific situation because I'm now 
almost the students on the ward where they're kind of teaching me how the ward operates and how the various um, routines and practices go. So whilst there's been some of the negative things like, you know, having to work in a situation that I've never worked in uh, and I've been a nurse for a long time, um, there's also come some very, very interesting and very positive things out of it. Clearly, probably the most difficult thing and a situation again that I've never faced is the fact that we don't have visitors in the hospital. Yeah. So you've got your staff, you've got your nursing staff, your medical staff, everybody involved in the care of the patients, but you've got no family allowed to visit. And even the routine of, of having family on the wards or departments that you can just talk to or answer questions or clarify things, all of that was just not possible. And then, of course, you have the, the awful situations where you have people who deteriorate and die and their families can't be with them. Um, and all of the associated challenges that go with that, that's certainly something that I'd never faced before. Always been in a position where you had, you know, family there, you could talk to them, you could support them through the experience, and that's just not been possible. Yeah, emotionally, this must have been a really challenging time. Was there a sense of trepidation when you first went back into it? Absolutely. And I think that's uh, the other thing. Whilst the uh, NHS put the call out for... Um, any health professionals to pop their names down, if you like, to go back into practice. Um, that sense of kind of, well, I should do this, coupled with, hang on, I haven't done this for a long time. Um, for me, the last time I was in clinical practice was probably about five years, which in terms of the NHS is a, a, a massive time out of practice because, as you can imagine, things change so rapidly and there's always new techniques and new procedures and new equipment. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was quite anxiety-producing. Having said that, I have worked in a variety of different areas in the hospital and the staff have always been so supportive. They know they were having a, as we are called, rapid response nurses so that they know who we are. They know that we're not familiar with the hospital. They know that we're not familiar with all of the uh, runnings of the department and they've been so supportive, so helpful. Um, we've had lots of onward training i've had additional training for the trusts that i've worked in so whilst it was a bit of a scary experience i would say that there has been a lot of support from clinical colleagues and i think in that it's it, it gives you a little bit of confidence i think too well actually no i am quite familiar with that and actually no i do know how to do that i might not be familiar with that particular piece of kit but i know roughly how they work but just not that particular model so i think really after a few weeks of being back in practice, you start to realise maybe I'm not quite as rusty as I thought I was and providing they get the support. It also makes you realise that this is how a student must feel when they go out into practice. Yeah, uh, a yeah. bit lost, a bit unsure. I'm not too sure about this. But it also shows that if you create the right atmosphere for people, even at a very difficult time like the COVID crisis, uh, people can achieve an awful lot. At the start, we didn't really understand that much about this virus, how it would behave. We still don't know that much about it now, but when it when it first really kicked in, that must have been really difficult because we know every organisation, every sector has emergency planning exercises. They're reviewed, they're updated, they're tested constantly. But when something new comes along like this, it's completely uncharted territory, isn't it? It is. You're absolutely right. And I think... As this was unfolding and patients were coming into the hospitals ill, um, we were learning more about it, but we were obviously learning about that quite slowly. So all of the 
essential kind of treatment plans were activated for patients who present in a particular way, maybe with breathing difficulties or infection and these types of things. But all of the time, little specific aspects of the COVID infection, the way in which they presented themselves on things like blood results, on x-rays, on scans, we'd never seen this before. So I was speaking to some of the medical staff and I was saying, well, I know what a respiratory infection looks like on a chest x-ray, but what does uh, a patient's chest x-ray look like when they've got COVID or what things could I see in their blood results? Um, I know what I'm looking for with someone with this condition or this condition. Is there anything specific to COVID? Um, and in a lot of cases, the medical staff were saying, well, we're really not too sure. And this uh, particular test that we do or this x-ray or this scan might show this but then that just might be an ordinary respiratory infection so it was all very vague as you say it was all very confused there was a lack of clarity so we were kind of having to learn and adapt as we as we were going along essentially and obviously one of the key goals for the country set by the government has been to prevent the nhs being overwhelmed during the pandemic not just with covid patients but with people obviously presenting if they are presenting with with other ailments as well have we succeeded in preventing us being overwhelmed do you think i think so i think initially the major concern was for critical care areas so areas like intensive care which are the areas where um patients who require artificial ventilation have to go so the main concern with covid um respiratory symptoms which they would deteriorate to a level where people would be unable to breathe on their own so we then essentially have to put someone into a state of unconsciousness put a tube down into their lungs and ventilate them in the intensive care unit and of course the anxiety was that if we're faced with thousands and thousands of people with exactly those symptoms we just don't have enough not only beds we don't have enough ventilators we don't have enough staff we don't have enough people with appropriate training um so i think that concern was probably entirely justified there are some techniques that you can use to help prevent people from ending up in that situation but sometimes people deteriorate regardless of that and whilst i would say that the hospitals that i've certainly worked in have been exceptionally busy all the wards and departments it is fair to say that the critical care areas or those areas reserved for the most sick patients haven't been totally and completely overwhelmed that's certainly been my experience i'm not too sure if that's the case all over uh, the uk but certainly in the clinical areas that i've worked in clearly we're going to live with covid19 for a long time to come would you be confident that we're prepared for any future surges and second waves and spikes that are anticipated i think this is uh, another huge anxiety and the one of the things that reassures me, if you like, is the fact that we have developed a fair bit of expertise, albeit in a very short period of time. So we do know a little bit more now about how the virus kind of characterizes itself in, in patients and what kind of course people often take. Whilst I appreciate that doesn't happen in every single person, but there are patterns and trends that we can see. I think also the fact that we are still recruiting NHS staff, we still are asking for NHS personnel to come forward. Um, and not just nurses, doctors, physios, all the uh, professions allied to medicine. So I think there is this preparation for if we do have 
uh, a second surge and we do see an increase in the numbers of people requiring support in hospital that we are kind of uh, building up that base of staff who will be available um, also i've noticed that things like training is being stepped up for people like myself who are returning to practice maybe a little bit rusty in some areas or maybe requiring a bit of an update or a bit of additional training in some areas that's actually happening now in the trust so i think they are becoming prepared for if we do have this second uh, spike we've got something waiting in the wings if you like you're listening to 1823 podcast you mentioned a lot of LJMU students are out there, a lot of LJMU alumni are out in NHS and other settings as well. From your experience um, talking to them and working alongside them, how, how has this situation been for them? I think it's been um, massively challenging for them. Um, certainly the student nurses who are working out in practice, um, the NMC, the Nursing Midwifery Council, um, gave guidelines for which nursing students can go and it depends on which stage of their training if they were allowed to be out in practice. Um, I think it's been tremendously challenging for them because this is a situation that someone like myself with the experience that I have, I've never seen anything like this. So these people are clearly much younger, less experienced, they're just starting uh, out in their professional training and they're faced with uh, this situation. And whilst you could say, well, this is a tremendous learning opportunity and you will learn all about infection control and you'll learn about PPE in a way that you probably never would, uh, you have to balance that with this is tremendously stressful. It's very difficult. It's very challenging. Um, they often want to be uh, involved in uh, supporting patients to the extent where they are just not able to. So they can't incorporate the families in the way that they would like to do. Um, one of the good things I think that's come out of it is, is this tremendous sense of team. Mm. So all of our uh, student nurses, uh, because I've had direct contact with them and I've been working with them and I've been working with our uh, alumni staff nurses out there, the the sense of team and support is, has been fantastic. And I think all of them would certainly say that, uh, which is critical in any healthcare context, uh, really. If you've got a good team like that, we've got a lot of evidence to show that patient outcomes improve. So you've got a good supportive team. Um, clearly, I think people have been very mindful that our students need a little bit more support than they would normally, uh, given the fact that they're being exposed to, you know, exceptional circumstances that very few of us have seen. Mm. Through the pandemic, the nation has thanked key workers with the clapping on a Thursday evening, the rainbows in people's windows, the thank you messages across the media and social media. I wonder if this will change the way that we as a nation think of our key workers and perhaps more importantly, the way that we value them in our society? Yeah, I think this is a very, very... Um... It's a very interesting question in that that I think everybody has become a little bit more aware of just how important NHS personnel are. And I think that's kind of always been there, but now this has brought everything to to the the sort of uh, the front page really. I think also um, situations have occurred where we recognise it's not only those people immediately that you think of in terms of your doctors, your nurses, all of those um, people on the shop floor, if you like. It's all of the behind the scenes personnel. So if you think of people working in the hospital laundry, for example, uh, you can imagine the amount of 
laundry that's generated during this type of crisis where you've got, you know, massive amounts of linen being used. You've got people in the hospital laundry who are almost kind of forgotten, but they are absolutely critical. Um, and I think what this situation has done is it's made people realise that there are other NHS workers, your pauses, your staff, you know, involved in transportation of equipment. It's broadened it out, really, I think, to the whole concept of uh, what the NHS is about. It's not just about your staff directly involved in the care of patients. And I think it's made many people in the general public think, oh, well, hang on a minute. There's so many other aspects to this. And I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, that's broadened out across uh, other sectors as well. The people who've kept our nation going are the supermarket shelf stackers, the delivery drivers, people who perhaps are being valued more than ever before as a, as a result of what we've gone through. Absolutely agree with you. And I think what it's done is it has, it's given us that, that context really. And it's also placed things in people's minds to think, as you say, beyond the immediate care staff. Um, I've been exposed to a number of situations out in clinical practice where we've had non-clinical staff providing a service for patients. So for example, um, there are teams of uh, volunteers in hospitals who recognise that some patients, particularly elderly patients, uh, won't be able to communicate with their families. Maybe they've come into hospital suddenly, they don't have a phone with them. So the volunteers provide a service where they have mobile phones. They will come to a ward or department and they'll say, do you have any patients in your area who may want to contact family or would they like uh, to borrow one of these phones? And they sign out the phones to the patients. It means they can either see them on screen or they can talk to them. And then they collect the phones afterwards. They're obviously all disinfected and cleaned. The way that the phones are managed um, are in like plastic pouches, so there's no direct contact. So from these challenges have come some very innovative and very creative practices which has just shown really what people can do when they are put under pressure and I think that that's really uh, a massively positive thing so I've seen some really really good things from non-clinical non-direct um, care staff and I think people who do jobs like that it's made the general public think wow there are all of these other elements to the NHS which are not just looking after patients in Walton departments, and, and that's really good. Yeah. We heard that clip from the Prime Minister at the top of the episode talking about how he didn't know how he could ever repay the debt that he owes to the NHS for, for saving his life during COVID-19. I'm sure many people's retort to that would be you could repay the debt with better wages, better conditions, better equipment for NHS staff. Can this be a moment do you think politically that does change the weather when it comes to funding of public services like the NHS? I think so. I think this situation and obviously the Prime Minister's situation has prompted a variety of uh, political discussions, um, not only related to things like funding the NHS or indeed funding NHS staff, um, but also I think it's changed the public's perceptions of uh, NHS services, NHS funding. I think there is now maybe a heightened realisation that all of those elements, if you like, of the NHS require their own individual funding support uh, and, and kind of there has to be some major changes, if you like, uh, not only as a result of this, but to manage maybe future things um, that, that could occur. You're listening to 1823 Podcasts. I've seen the personal courage 
not just of the doctors and nurses, but of everyone, the cleaners, the cooks, the healthcare workers of every description, physios, radiographers, pharmacists, who've kept coming to work, kept putting themselves in harm's way, kept risking this deadly virus. It is thanks to that courage, that devotion, that duty, and that love that our NHS has been unbeatable. So Boris Johnson, in that clip, using the emotive language that we've heard so much of during the pandemic when people talk about NHS and other key workers, courage and love. Um, I wonder what you make of that, Colin, because I've read other doctors and nurses saying, actually, we... We don't want this hero narrative, as they call it. We don't want to be considered heroes or martyrs. We're professional people doing our job, and we need the support to be able to do it. I think you're absolutely right. And I think there's been a lot of emphasis, as you say, on the clap for carers. And and I've seen massive amounts of um, generosity and support and and kindness from people. So, for example, every single ward and department I've worked on, and in the hospital where I've been working, I've probably worked on about 12 or 13 wards. Every single ward is full of gifts from people, um, donations from uh, various companies. Uh, I'm pretty sure, you know, every healthcare worker has put on four or five stone as a result of pizza delivery and, you know, fabulous food and things in the fridges and the in the wards and departments. So people have been so kind. But I think in terms of this um, hero sort of image, healthcare staff know when they join um, or when they train to be healthcare professionals, that there has to be some kind of altruistic purpose in there. And they, they appreciate that that is a necessary part of the job, but they are doing their job at the end of the day. And it's interesting that we are clapping for carers during the COVID crisis, but when COVID wasn't here and we are dealing with major problems with winter crisis for example we know that in the winter we have a lot of elderly people with respiratory infections we have a lot of elderly people who maybe slip and fall and fracture hips so our a e departments are full we we hear all of these stories all of the time and yet the emphasis seems different at that time so at the end of the day i think nhs people nhs care staff are there to do their job they honestly genuinely believe we are just doing our job and this is what we came into so they certainly don't perceive themselves to have any heroic qualities at all certainly no more than usual yeah just finally from an academic and a teaching perspective um what will this crisis give you as we move ahead now what can you take from this to help create teaching resources and support for current and future students i think uh, it's one of those situations where something very positive can come out of something very negative that students are now able to read and to consider certain points that come out of particular stories and what they can learn from them i think in terms of development for our students there is a number of issues here we've got all of the immediate things like the clinical skills teaching so we can really improve our teaching of things like uh, infection control and all of the management that goes with that um, all about the use of, of PPE in a variety of clinical situations. So whilst we do this in all of our programmes, 
we now have a different type of knowledge and we can bring with us a, a different perspective on some of the challenges of uh, those types of issues, but also the non-clinical aspects. So being supportive with colleagues, working in teams, how to develop your resilience, um, being a bit kind to yourself, taking care of yourself so that you're in a better state to look after people who really need you. So I think there's a lot of both clinical issues. So the actual uh, hands-on or the teaching of particular skills. The other thing that we do quite a lot of is simulation. So I'm sure we'll see an increase in that. But there's also the, the non-clinical stuff, the teamwork, the managing change, the being resilient, and also looking after your mental health, because one of those issues is, is also huge on the agenda, isn't it, uh, following the, uh, the COVID crisis. Um, but I've certainly witnessed an awful lot of not only support at ward level in clinical practice, but also I see that all of the trusts have um, designated personnel or departments who have been charged with the responsibility of caring for staff's mental health or positive well-being, which I think is a really good thing. Um, I know also at the university that we've got um, uh, that focus, you know, with a huge focus on, on student mental health. And it's only an area that I think is going to um, expand, uh, given now that we've had a lot of students and a lot of alumni uh, out in practice who may well need those services. Yeah, great. Colin, thanks for taking the time to chat to us today. It's I know you are really busy both no, it's a in the NHS setting and with your work at LJMU as well. So I really appreciate that. And um, yeah, thanks to you and your colleagues and the students for all that you're doing for us at the moment. You're very welcome. Thank you very much indeed, Stuart. And I hope uh, you and yours all keep safe and well. Thank you very much. That's uh, Dr. Colin Jones. And we'll leave you now with a preview of what we'll be talking about in the next episode. 1823 podcast. There's so many things that we're, we can learn, we are learning right now. One is adapting to a different way of living. We can do it, we've all, all done it. Um, and yeah, our individual actions collectively really do result in, in genuine steps that we need to be taking.